Hey, hey y'all. y'all. And welcome to the Sorry Not Sorry Generation podcast, where we bring you a not-so-healthy dose of humor and reality as we get our hands dirty with some serious nostalgia and question everything. Let's dive in. Hey, y'all. Hey, y'all. It's Misty. It's Ani. And Aaron. And we are starting with the very first episode of... Uh, the Nameless City campaign. Technically, like, the very first episode, because Session Zero is episode zero, obviously. Um, this is the full, like, we're going into the game. This we is the start of the... Uh, us back. This is yeah, the, that last was practice. <laughs> this is the start of the actual campaign and the actual plot. You guys can go back and listen to episode or to Session Zero. You can get the lore of the city, the lore of the world that we're going to be in, which for anybody who's knowledgeable about D&D is Matthew Mercer's Exandria. Because I know way more about that than I do uh, Torrell from uh, the D&D world. So sorry. <laughs> but I don't know shit about Torrell. I know a lot about Exandria, so we're playing in Exandria. Um, I've watched the campaigns and it's a lot of hours. So I didn't have to I didn't have to learn Exandria and then teach it to y'all. Which You've I would have done <laughs> much, much more research than we have, and we're very thankful for that. Yeah, well I, like we as the, the best DM. Yeah. As the DM, I'm supposed to do all of the research. And that's I love doing fantasy <laughs> research. Not real life research for school, but like fantasy research is my jam. So. Yeah. <laughs> right? Oh. Forget school. This is much more interesting. But she's still getting A's in class, so don't I know. Don't worry about it. Your girl's got a 4.0 GPA. (laughs) Which really just tells me my professors don't read my papers, but (laughs) I have actively been citing in the wrong format my entire graduate school line. Are you quiet quitting MLA formats? No. um, We don't use MLA format, unfortunately. We use Chicago. In in history, yeah. We use... Oh, that's um, right. I forgot what it was called. I... Had to do that like twice, and it was yeah. like, at, like well, which one? Chicago. Oh, yeah, we did Chicago I, for uh, publishing. I mm-hmm. use Chicago. We're supposed to use Turbian, which is an offshoot of Chicago. I've used it once, and that's when I wrote my master's degree. I haven't I don't used know what that is either. Yeah, it's an it's a stupid like. Look, you want to how I know it? What's like, the difference? I I'm, I don't know. My professors don't know either because no, <laughs> no one has called me on it. Like I think at the beginning of my master's degree, um, and like I put effort into trying to learn it, but the auto generators for citations don't do Turbian; they do Chicago. So I've just used those because I don't make my citations. I use the citation generator because fuck if I understand that. Um, and. Uh, like they don't do turbine, so they only do Chicago. So I use Chicago, and I think I've only had. Look, I went through my entire master's degree, and now I'm like six classes into my PhD. Nobody notices, no one at all. And the only time I actively did turbine, and it's there's slight like the comma goes over here instead, or like the parentheses go here, or like whatever. Like those are the that's the uh. difference. The only time I actively made a point to do it was when I wrote my master's thesis, and that was it. And I'll do it again when I do my PhD thesis. But beyond that, have I ever fucking written in turbine? No, I have not. And I have a 4.0 GPA. Nobody's reading my papers, okay? No one. So nothing's going to stop her, essentially, from continuing to do whatever the fuck she wants to do. No. And uh, I, I applaud her for that. Nobody nobody no. cares. Like, nobody, like I, I think they only read your papers, like, if your grade, like, is on the fence of passing or not. Like, with my, my master's degree, I had to have, like, I think it's 75 or above or something like this. This I have to have like an 85 or above or something like that. So like I have to maintain a pretty good grade, but it's an even 100 on every single grade. I th- it usually has varied the most. I've gotten a 90. Damn, I've gotten a 97 like every <laughs> once in a while. And I'm like, ooh, but uh, mix it up. Ooh. Yeah, like mix it up a little. <laughs> My last class counted in points, and our total, like, final, you at the most you could have was 1,010 points. I don't know why 10, but it was 1,010 points. I had an even 1,000 points. And I'm just like, yeah, I'm not worried. So mm-hmm. I don't – and I, by the time – it was just good for me that they don't read the papers because I'm really sure by the time I get to page, like – 15 out of 20 like i'm just not making sense anymore <laughs> i'm just like it's just going and i'm just like woo <laughs> so right so it's just like they don't read it and that's fine so there, You're there lucky. was one class in high school that i had like that where we instead of 
reading the books, mm-hmm. we watched the movie version or the closest equivalent to the movie okay. version. And when I say that, I mean, what did we watch? Instead of, some, oh, I can't remember what book, but we watched Last of the Mohicans. And it wasn't, that wasn't the book that we read. <laughs> and it was just like, wh- whatever. But anyway, so like I was like, I was doing the work and she would give you extra credit if you turned it in on time. So I always turn in my shit on time. And then in the spring semester, I got, because this was in high school, so it was two semesters. So in the spring semester, I got one of my trademark, you know, uh, combination platter thicknesses. Ah, okay. And yes. I was, I missed a week of school. I came back and I still had 120% in that class. Fun. Because I, just for turning my work in on time. And again, she didn't read anything. Like, she didn't care. But it was just like, but like there were other people that were asking for more extra credit to pass. Wow. And I'm just like, so you just didn't turn it in is what you're saying. Yeah. yeah it's really, it's really strange to me to like, and in some ways it irritates me because I, I write 20 page papers. Nobody reads them. But at the same time, like, mm-hmm. leave me alone. Don't talk to me. Don't yeah. critique me. Don't speak to me. Don't go in my space. Don't, don't perceive my existence. <clears throat> like, don't do any of that. <laughs> Like, I don't want you to yeah. do any of those things, especially this school. Like, don't fucking talk to me. Like, I don't want to talk to you people. And I know they're probably, like, if they actually read your paper, they might actually track you for being a witch. Mm. <laughs> that would be unfortunate. My current class mm-hmm. is Western Civilizations. Ugh. Yeah. Oh, it's going to be fun. Yeah, it's awful. We're back to doing discussion posts where I have to record myself talking about them. I don't like Oh, them. come on! So, at least in the rubric for the discussions for this one, they're not grading me on my appearance, so. Oh, hey. Mm. I forgot about that. From yeah. One. That was weird. I want you to show up in one video, just be like, I don't know, just go full goth or something, and they'll be like, yeah, so this is... <laughs> I'm genuinely surprised they haven't called me out on the sword that's in the background, but my... Figurine Bakugo, I do hide when I record it because hit on his arms are giant grenades. So I don't, I, I hide Bakugo. So I love Bakugo. He's wearing giant grenades. So I do, I do tuck him behind the screen so that nobody can see him. So, but, oh my god, that's amazing. I love. I'm just like I don't need them to see that. So it's be- no. it's better that I keep all of the the books that I have that have like. Uh, like uh gay storylines they're on the other side of the camera so <laughs> so you can't see that in the background so Love i didn't it. do that on purpose that's just where they are so it's just like there you go you can't ever because i just feel mm-hmm. like one day somebody's gonna get pissed and they're gonna just like search like the stuff in people's backgrounds and i'm like you won't find anything for me though you can see my D books so but you can't tell what they are so mm-hmm. but that's kind of I, I would also do that i'd be like I am a blank slate. You will know nothing about me. Yeah. Well, the way I record with, um, for the class, I can't blur the background or else I just do that. So it's not a, it's not a feature it has. Is it? So. Oh, that's gross. Yeah. So, but it's fine. All right. You guys ready to start this thing? And we're gonna, yes. yes, ma'am. We're going to see how this goes. I, I done a lot of prep, so hopefully it goes well. And the best part about this map system for me is that I've made all of the maps in the order that you guys will encounter them. So it makes it easier for me to keep track of what y'all are going to do. So perfect. Um, just so you guys know, I'm going to start with Jazara just to make it easier to get things going. Okay. Um, and then we'll move through it. Um, and I'll, there's going to be a lot of narration at the very beginning, mostly me probably talking to myself as other characters that Jazara encounters. <laughs> So you can prepare yourself for me talking to myself, which is the fun of being a DM. The Nameless City audiobook. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, that's mostly the first 15 minutes of session zero is me narrating. It, it is. So, it's just yeah. your narration. But I liked it a lot. I was telling her, I'm like, just listening. I can listen to her for hours. I know. Can we get her to read some of our books? Right? Maybe not the super spicy ones. I don't want to. Make her- God, I, I don't need her to the read. Most deadpan, uninteresting. <laughs> possible. And he put his <laughs> sound effect that just, and I would just hold it for like six <laughs> chapters. And like, there you go. <laughs> oh 
one of those dollar like spicy books you can buy on Amazon or whatever, and the whole time the audio book version is just that sound, nothing else, just. <laughs> It would be like the new Rick rolling, where you, like you, it's been really serious up until that point, and then I'll make it at like a goose honking noise, like <laughs> my future plans are right there. That's my future job is me going to be an audiobook uh, reader. So. So, audiobook honker. Audiobook honker. <laughs> My official title: audiobook honker. <laughs> I, I'll even do, like be a guest on other people's like uh, audiobooks, and they'll just like <laughs> with special honking reader. <laughs> with special honks by Misty Davis. Exactly. And eventually, when I get PhD, I'll just switch to the abbreviation, so it'll just say Special Honks by Dr. Matt, and it just, like, mm, Exactly. Mm-hmm, choice. Oh. It's gonna be amazing. Oh, it will be. I like that uh, pen name for her. Well, I guess it wouldn't be a pen name, but you know what I mean. That's, oh, my God. That's amazing. It would, be, it would be lovely, and I would have no issues with it whatsoever, so. <laughs> All right. And I would just send those out to people. Right? <laughs> I'll I'll apply to be an audiobook person with like whatever companies do audiobooks and that's what I'll send them. It's just me like Audible. reading like a chapter and then just like <laughs> <laughs> And then we can read your rejection letters on the podcast. Yeah, there you go. The pure confusion. The pure confusion. That these poor people who have to listen to these things would get and be like, like they'd be listening to like the first part of the chapter and be like, okay, you know, like that's that's it's fine. And then they would get to that and then out of left field. And just like, look, I just wanted to make sure there wasn't anybody like you know underage listening to this. So I'm doing, uh, like PG appropriate uh smut books. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> This is like, is that is that not a genre people are interested in? Like, you know. Faith the black becomes faith the honk. And then you just completely traumatize some child who now who reads the book too young and now or listens to the book too young and then every time they go to have sex, all they hear is honk. Fifty shades of honk, so <laughs> uh, every two who- seconds will be a honk. Anyone who tuned in to hear D and D, I am so sorry. That it turned into a honk session. That's fair. Uh, Anna, you know how you and I were talking about doing like little quotes, like per episode, kind of a thing. Yep. There you go. There you go. Honk. 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 I, I'm, 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 honk. I'm, I'm writing that. <laughs> All right. Ready? Alrighty. Yes. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Are the listeners ready now? Nobody's. <laughs> nobody was prepared. No one's ever. Nobody ready. was prepared for the honking. Nobody's ever going to be prepared for the honking. And, um, but if they're not prepared for our weirdness by now, then they're in the wrong podcast. So. Yeah, true. All right. Get my little We'll have to do a featuring, whatever your dog's name is. I know. Featuring Gibbush, the little pest well, that won't shut up. at least while she's reading, we'll do it. So yeah. there's less background noise. Needs a freaking muzzle. <laughs> Even my mom is like, I want to put something to wrap around your mouth so you don't shush. It just has such a piercing bark. <sighs> Ready? Pest. Yes. The nameless city. Deep underground, underneath the surface of Exandria, a single city lies in the north. Here, you will find an interesting collection of people, families, and magic. It is within this city and its deep history of magic and war that we will find our party. Jazara Telena is a half-drow. She has worked with the city guard as a member of the Telena family. And while the Telena family are not exactly inclined to their own personal physical labors, they are very good at training those who are. As a half-drow, Jazara is not as well in the realm of status within her family as the rest. So she enjoys being delegated the more physical labor aspects of being a guard. 
As a ranger, she scouts and occasionally gets lost. Tries not to, doesn't always succeed, and gets herself into more trouble than is probably necessary, but she'll always blame that on her friend Valkaria instead, even when they're not together. Though, of course, it is always balanced out by Asha's level head, and hey, somebody has to be. Jazara is walking uh, to her post at the gate because she has uh, guard duty on the main gate of the city today. And beside her is her uncle. Her uncle has had a long time position as one of the uh, upper echelons of the guard training. Like his whole position is to train the lower common guard. And he's also one of the only Talena who has a kind of a sense of humor, which is rare among drow, <laughs> even more rare among the Talena. They're walking together along the cobbled streets over towards Jazara's post for the day. And Jazara is trying to convince her uncle to join her for cards later, mostly just because she knows he has money on him today. Surely you can join me for cards. Come on, it doesn't hurt. There's right after I get off my shift, we'll go, we'll gamble, and maybe you won't lose everything this time. And this time. And he kind of looks at her, kind of gives her a side eye. I am never playing cards with you again. <laughs> I've learned my lesson. And she looks at him, she's like, That's what you've said every day that we go to play cards since I was 12. Has it worked yet? And he kind of shoves her away from him and he laughs and he says, no, it hasn't. I'll see you after your shift. <laughs> so she laughs and she, to get up onto her, into her shift, she could, as she approaches the tower, the guard tower that's connected to the wall, she could go through the door like a normal person. She's not going to. She scales the side of the building and absolutely scares the living hell out of the people who are standing guard facing outside of the city, as they're supposed to. They're not expecting Jazara to climb up over the wall behind them. And to be fair, she's done it enough times that they should probably be prepared, and they're not. <laughs> but Jazara, after scaring the living hell out of her, uh, fellow guard switches places with them as their shift ends and hers begins. And she begins the long and tedious process of walking and patrolling her part of the wall <clears throat> and standing guard and staring at the empty cavern that is in front of the nameless city. Hours pass. It's boring. She walks. She encounters other guards. They discuss what they've seen, which is also nothing. And the most of her shift passes uneventfully. It's about 11-ish of the surface time. 11 a.m. for the record. Of surface time. She's spent a few hours doing this now. And it's during this time. Oh, cool. Let's see if she... She's beginning to notice a low humming sound. Not like a melodious humming sound, but almost like a buzzing noise. And it seems to be getting louder. It wasn't very noticeable at first, but it seems to slowly be getting louder. She's taken notice, and she looks around, and she walks down the wall to approach some of the other guards to see if they hear it. And after a moment of listening in the silence, they do. And Jazara asks, what? What is that? I've never heard that sound before, and it seems to come from everywhere, not just one place. And her fellow guards agree, and they're like, I don't know, what, what is that? And, and they all start to get kind of nervous, because the sound gets louder, and, but not in a way that it would be getting so much as that the volume is turned up, but so much as that it might be getting closer. And Jazara's starting to get paranoid. I don't know what's going on, but it can't be good. She runs over to the end of the wall where the tower is, and next to the tower begins one of the giant cavern walls. She can't see anything from where she is, but on top of the, uh, uh, standing on top of the edge of the tower, she can crawl up onto it and then crawl up onto the wall and climb the wall if she so chooses. On the very top of each guard tower is a very large brass bell. It is a warning bell. 
and she has to go around it in order to climb up the wall. And she's going to make a climb check to see if she can get a better vantage point by climbing up the wall. It takes her a moment to get any kind of height, but about she manages to climb about 30 feet up and to try and get a better vantage point. And now that she's up higher, she can see over part of the ridge that starts to slope pretty far down. Probably about 100 yards outside of the Nameless City is a is really starts to steep down because eventually you'll get into the middle dark and then into the lower dark eventually. And there's what looks like a large shimmer that goes across the the area of where it starts to slope up from what she can see and it spans a hundred yards of space and there's just a low shimmer and she notices as the shimmer moves so too does the sound and it's about this time that she's on the wall staring at the shimmering that all of a sudden a pulse of magic hits the city it does not come from outside of the city it comes from within and it, the deep magical presence that has always been a part of the city since long before any of our party were born pulses once and in a wave passes over the city and is extinguished the magical barrier that protects the city encased somewhere unknown within the city that keeps the illithids out has fallen no one living within the city has ever experienced the fall of the machine or the barrier. Moro, almost no one knows where the machine is, so it cannot be a simple accident. As the magical wave passes through the city and the device fails, the wave hits every citizen and you feel it like a punch in the gut as the absence of magic becomes too prevalent. And Jazara, as she's staring out at this shimmer beyond the walls, as the pulse of magic hits, so too does the shimmer drop and the illusion with it. And from her vantage point, she can see what is now an army of thousands approaching the city. Elithids and their undead minions, thousands upon thousands of them, and she realizes the humming noise she's been hearing this entire time has been the marching of boots on the ground as the nameless city is under attack. Fuck, fuck, fuck. Jazara, holding onto the wall 30 feet up, doesn't bother trying to climb down. It will take too long, and from her vantage point, she's one of the only people who can see the incoming army. She leaps off of the side of the mount of like the cavern wall, and she aims directly for the bell that hangs on to the, the top of one of the towers. She doesn't aim to hit it, she aims to grab the rope that's hanging underneath it. I have to roll for her. Not to just face first onto the ground. <laughs> 19, she does. She catches the rope, and as she her body weight falls with her, this loud gong noise rings with the bell over and over as she lights the warning sounds throughout the city and as she does every bell along the wall begins to ring and she screams at the top of her lungs at the other at the other guards the illithids are here the barrier has fallen and in this moment everyone on that wall understands what will happen next there is nothing protecting them from the mind-controlling powers of the illithids anymore. Jazara understands that this is not something they can just win on their own. As she looks at this army of thousands of creatures that are marching upon their city. Their city is only 7,000 people strong. And their guard is certainly not over 1,000 people equipped. She leaps down over the side of the tower and begins to scale down in which once she hits the ground, she takes off running as fast as she can into one of the secret tunnels that will lead her up to Kel Tower. This is not something they can face alone. Over at Kel Tower, we have Asha. Asha's family as worshippers of the Moonweaver and as the sole 
area within the city of religious worship, in the center of the religious worship, lives in a tower that I unfortunately named the Kell Tower, not realizing it sounded like Bell Tower when I named it. <laughs> uh, to be fair, I didn't. But we loved it anyway. I didn't know that. And then once I did know that, I liked it. I'm like, okay. Um, we will start with Asha. Asha, we are going, this is going to be happening at the same time. So this is pre-pulse. You haven't felt that yet. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. You're in your, you're in the tower and all of your family live within the tower. And you're in the mm -hmm. tower. What would Asha be doing as she's just on a date, a regular basis in her home? I believe she'd be gathering up papers okay. to... Uh, uh, study materials i should say that she would be taking to go down to the uh, infirmary because okay. she's a uh she's a healer an, a healer an acolyte down there and then she would be getting ready for her day there okay because it's it's early morning at this point mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and as you're gathering your your materials for the day you're getting everything together you're thinking of all the things you're gonna have to do for the day all the responsibilities that you have and as your her mind is going a million miles a minute. Yep, there's so much to do in a day. You've got only so much time to get everything done. You're constantly being pulled in all these different directions, all these different responsibilities that you have going on, and just in the middle of this typical day. And like you can hear your family; they're moving about the tower. You can hear your aunt Jacinda. She's leaning out one of the windows. <laughs> she's yelling at something that you can't see. You you think maybe she's she's just talking to the air. You're not really sure. Like, she usually does. Yeah, she, she's usually just doing it, but you can hear her faintly out the window, like, oh, the ribbons, they flow so prettily. And then, like, she's leaning <laughs> out the window, mostly, and she's, like, waving ribbons, like, in the air. And she's having a great and time. I say a little prayer to the Moonweaver that she today is not the day she falls out the window. That's fair. It's a daily prayer at this point of hoping she doesn't fall out the window, because as, as much as Asha has a daily routine... So in some ways does Jacinda. And today it's ribbons that she's flinging out the window. <laughs> you know your mother is somewhere in the tower as you can hear her yelling for Jacinda. She's like, get out of the window. We have things to do. We need those <laughs> ribbons. Do not throw them on the ground. Jacinda! And you can hear her, you can hear them going at it. And she's like, but they look so pretty when they fall on the ground. And it is about this time as you're just having a normal day, all of a sudden a magical pulse hits you. It physically rocks you back. And because it feels like you were hit with a magical force. And in this one instance of absolute silence that hits after the pulse, you feel the complete drain of the magical barrier that protects the city disappear. And there, what in the Kell Tower, what is usually vibrant with life and sounds and movement has gone completely silent. What do you do? Well, when the magical pulse hit, as it felt like I had been hit in the stomach, my papers flew everywhere. My book bag fell on the floor and I stopped wondering if I had imagined it praying I had imagined it and then when I hear the silence of the tower I know some deep shit is going on and that's when you hear footsteps running down the tower and you see because your door is open and you see your mother and rush by and your mother rarely runs your mother doesn't particularly run she doesn't, she doesn't rush she doesn't have to and because a lady is never late, she is on time and exactly what means to arrive somewhere. So she like runs by your door and that is a surprise in and of itself, but not too far outside of your door is one of the balconies that leads out in where you can see the courtyard. And your mother, if you step outside the door, you can see her leaning over the balcony, almost as much as you typically see Jacinda doing it on a reckless basis. And she's staring out at these now silent city. Do you approach your mother? Slowly. Cautiously. And your mother, as you look at her, her hands are gripping the railing so tightly that her knuckles have just turned white. And she's staring out, and there's silence across the city 
and then you could start to hear like cacophonies of noises and people freaking out screaming like in the far distance the kill tower is situated up higher than most of the city but it goes to show you how loud people are starting to scream that you can start to hear mm-hmm. them and your mother turns to you and she looks at you and she's it it's fallen it's the barriers fallen and she reaches forward and she grabs you and she's like the barrier is fallen this cannot be an accident. The barrier keeps this city safe. It is hidden. It is secret. It, it cannot be an accident. And it's about this time that you hear Jacinda run down the stairs. And she has a very different look on her face. It is not necessarily a serious look on her face. But she is focused on something that you cannot see. And her eyes with a green magic that you don't usually see with Jacinda. And, but as you can sense her magical presence, and you know the, the feeling of, her, of Jacinda's magic, you can tell that she is pulling magic to her. And she's looking at something, but it's not at anything you can see. And as she stares there for a moment, she says, It has happened. They are here. And the mu- the magic fades from her eyes and she looks at you and she says oh I didn't realize today was the day to die and then she wanders further down the hallway and as she passes your mother your mother grabs her and she's like what do you mean what do you mean that this is the day to die and Jacinda just looks at her completely calm faced and she says oh they are here and your mother says who is here who are you talking about And Jacinda just calmly looks at both of you and she says, The Illithids have arrived. We will die today. And then walks away. And your mother stares at you. And for somebody who's very calm and collected almost all of her life, you can see what is starting to become fear building in her eyes. And she takes a moment and it started like the the fear and the pressure of everything is starting to build and you can see it on your mother but it is at that moment that all of a sudden you hear uh jazara screaming your name and she's just yelling, asha asha at the top of her lungs and she is at the uh she's burst through the entrance to the kel tower and Jacinda, as you look down the stairs, because your stairs are spirally stairs, mm-hmm. and as you look down the stairs, uh, Jacinda is mostly walking down the stairs at a very calm rate, but Jazara is standing in the middle of the tower, and she's screaming your name. Asha! Are you here? I run to the edge of the balcony, say yes, and then I run down the stairs, brushing past Jacinda and her slow, calm walk. Because <laughs> we gotta get some stuff done. I... It takes me a second because I don't want to fall and break my face on this day to die. (laughs) But I reach Jazara and go, what happened? There's an army. Uh, An army? It's an illicit army. There's thousands of them. They're coming for the city. And it's at this time your mother who has grabbed like a, a bag you've never seen before and she has that in one hand and then she has a large shield in her other hand and she's now composed herself but in a way that is looks like it is she's stealing herself for something like she's stealing herself for a fight and she walks down the stairs she's very calm about it she walks down the stairs and she looks at both Jazara and Asha and she says, you must not be here. Go to the Nycor's home and find them. What happens next will depend on them. And she takes the shield that she has. And as you look at it, it is a purple and silver shield. And in a ring around the like outside area of the shield is different phases of the moon. And in the middle of it is the symbol of the Moonweaver, which is an upside-down moon that's strung like a bow, and it has, like, uh, two arrows, like, on it as well. And it's very beautiful. It's very ornate. You think it belongs to your mother, but you've never actually had to see her use it. Um, If your mother practices battle, you don't 
you've never seen her practice battle. You are aware that she is some kind of fighter, but it's not something she practices in public. So, but you are aware that this is probably something your mother owns. It's a very beautiful shield. It's ornate, but it looks like it's made out of like very sturdy, finely crafted metal. And she hands it to you. It's heavy, so and I'm un- and unexpected. Yeah. So I take the weight into my hand, and I'm still gaping at her. Like, what do you mean, the night court? What? Why? Why do I have to go? I don't. I, <laughs> I'm very confused. And as she hands you this beautiful but heavy shield, she looks at you and she says, "If." the Lithans get the key to the Ferez of, and which is the well of magical power in the city. If they get the key to that, there will be no saving the city. There will be no protecting this city and there will be no survivors. We will have to fight the oncoming army. And she looks at Jazara and she says, how many? And Jazara just shakes her head and she says, thousands. She's like, I've never seen anything like it. It's thousands. And she looks at both of you very calmly. And she says, go to the Nykor. Do not stop for anything. And she stands in your personal space, Asha. And she looks at you and she says, do not stop for anything. Do what they tell you to do. And if they tell you to run, don't come back. And she shoves the shield at you further. And I take it, and rather than argue with my mother, I dip my head and look to Jazara, and we go. Yeah, and just as you uh, leave, Jucinda, who is wearing, like, a pack, hands you something. She hands you, like, a, a, a pack, and uh, you can grab that from her as you go out the door. I Yes, I grab that. Even more confused than <laughs> what my mother handed me. <laughs> like, who knows what's in that? That makes visual sense. Yeah. Like, there could be it anything could be in mushrooms. that. Could be ribbons. Could be mushrooms, could be ribbons, could be a bomb. Like, you don't fucking know. Like, it's Jacinda we're talking about. Mm-hmm. And I say to Jazara, lean on. And Jazara, who now has, like, a direction and, like, a mission, and just takes the lead. She leads you to the secret tunnel that you guys used to get to when you sneak from Kel Tower. Um to where Valkaria lives and you guys just thunder through these secret tunnels and you just go as fast as you can. However, that shield is actually a special custom made item I made for you and we can add that to your character sheet. Yay! So I'm going to go add that to your character sheet and I will, um, I'll, I'll tell you a little bit about what it does when, um, you'll have to sit and meditate with it for an hour, um, to get like the full effects of it. But uh, it is a custom. We don't currently have an hour. <laughs> no, you do not. So at the moment no. <laughs> you have a shield, but you don't have the fun little bonus things that go with it. So let me add that to your inventory. So for my printed page, where would I put that? Um, it, so it's going to go under your armor and it's going to be a shield. Okay. Because it is a magical shield of fun. Of oh, fun. Yeah, I didn't name it the Magical Shield of Fun, mind you, but uh, <laughs> I know what's disappointing. That's a different campaign. It is a, different, a different campaign. campaign. This is a shield called the Moon's Defense. Okay. And you can now add um, plus uh, two to your AC. So I'd be at 15, right? Indeed. Okay. Yay. And you'll learn about the other things that it does uh, later on. But at the moment, you have a very lovely, very ornate silver and purple shield with the moon on it. Oh, and well, now I'll, I'll save that fun little tidbit for after you because you don't know that yet. Um, <laughs> okay. So as... Keep your secrets. So while all of this is happening, we're going to go over to uh, the Nikor. What is? What did I say it was called? The Nikor, like power or something like that the way the stalagmites the slag the tower yeah the tower yeah uh which is like the actual word for stalactite and stalagmite combination which i learned and i thought that was the weirdest name for it but that's the actual (laughs) scientific name for that so we're going to go with it rewind a little bit in time but not much just what is valkaria doing on a normal morning at home um 
generally in the mornings, Valkaria is attending meetings with her dad, learning, um, you know, being a part of the council, being a part of the ins and outs of the city, how things are run, learning everything she can until it's time to take over. So at this point, she's probably gonna be getting out of a meeting or whatever's going on with her dad. So, like it's just ended. They're walking out of some whatever room they're in. So, Valkaria and her father are, you are exiting one of the, the meeting halls that you have at home. For some of the more smaller meetings, you do them within one of the many meeting areas that you guys have in your home. Sometimes you take them to council-like chambers, and sometimes you take them to the court. But today you've had a series of very boring meetings on agriculture, and you've just gotten out of this meeting. And as you are have split off from your father at this point, he's gone to deal and talk to some other dignitaries, and you are... Uh, getting your stuff together for what you're going to need for the next meeting because your whole day is an exciting flurry of meetings and <laughs> as interesting as that is it's not and you it's really boring and you know it's really boring but you do it anyway because you have to and as you're gathering you know like your stuff and you're just like trying to wind down a little bit from the last really boring meeting break to go into the next one and you're just walking through your house and you just get hit with this magical pulse. And you, especially as such an arcane-based spellcaster, can sense the magic as it fluctuates for a moment before it fades and the pulse hits. And you feel it when it hits you, especially as an arcane spellcaster. It's like the magic that has always existed in the air around you just completely vanishes. And it's staggering for a moment the complete loss of magic that you feel around you and it is uncomfortably absent feeling that overcomes you with it gone as as i feel the uh you know the, the sputtering of the magic in the, in the air around me i just kind of stop mid whatever i'm like mid walk towards wherever i'm going i just stop and i just like i take it like, i just trying to figure out like what's going on because I, I can feel it mm -hmm. and then it hits me and I just feel empty. Like, I'm usually cold to the touch, but I now feel cold on the inside. Like, there's, it, it's... It's a visceral loss. It's a visceral loss. Like, something is severely wrong. And, like, all the, like, the lights and stuff in the, in the tower, I just, like, they all start twinkling and dying out. And I just stand frozen for a second going, what do I do? And as you stand there, and it's, it is a staggering moment, and you watch magic around you flicker, and, like, the crystals flicker for a moment that the ones that light up the spaces and everything and they flicker for a moment and they do like regain like their stability after a moment but you can it's a palpable feeling of not having the magical barrier in the air anymore and yeah. your your father who is across the chamber but was is within like a hundred feet of you turns around very sharply and he just comes right towards you and he is just completely on a mission and he like pushes the people, the other people who are in the space with you, advisors, council members, and things like that, pushes them out of the way so that he can get directly to you. And he's like, did you feel that? I did. What was that? What happened? It means the barrier has fallen. What do you mean the barrier has fallen? You told me it couldn't fall. I didn't think it could. It... What do we do? It's... What's it... gonna happen? The barrier is powered by a device. The device uses energy that our ancestors pulled from the moon to power the device through magic and keep it stable. It was never meant to fail. They designed it specifically so that it would continuously feed on the energy that it produced. It Was, was there never like a plan B? Like what happens when it, it fails? It was never supposed to fail. It can't fail unless someone removes the crystal. Who knows about the crystal or this device? Why was I never told about these things? You are aware of the device's existence. You okay. know nothing about... Because um, like, that's the legend of the Nameless City, is the right. creation of the device in general. Nobody knows... Well, 
nobody knows where it is like you don't know where it is there's rumors like it could be uh in the dragonite syndicate it could be underneath it it could be wherever the like very few people know the Ferez exists either but they do right. know that, that people were fighting over like the magical energy of the area of the nameless city and that's how your ancestors and the Alithids went to war with one another um okay but the, nobody really knows like the magical energy like oh, okay maybe they just meant the crystals it's not the legends aren't really specific about it and they're just like they're not specific about what happened to the device some people think it's like people want to think it's myth but everybody can feel the barrier at the same time so like maybe there's just mm-hmm. a natural barrier here you know like conspiracy theorists theorize in all kinds of weird ways of thinking you know maybe it's in the water maybe it's in the tower like maybe it's underground like you know whatever Maybe it's on the surface, you know, just weird shit like that, you know? And uh, so nobody's really certain, like, where it is. And, which is fine, but it tells you that somebody has found the device. Right. And your father looks at you, and you assume that if anyone's going to know where it is, it would be your father. He is the head of the Dragonite Syndicate. He is the technical operating head of this entire city. If someone is going to know where it is, it is probably your father. It's going to be him. And it's also, there's a reasonable assumption that the other members of the Dragonite Syndicate would know where it is as well. And as you look at him, and he's staring like, just off, like at a wall, like he's thinking about something, but there's like there's nothing that he's specific that he's looking at but it's almost as if he's trying to sense something and right. he still has one hand like on your shoulder and as he seems to be concentrating in magic your mother comes rushing down from one of the other corridors at, from her own set of different types of meetings and you can hear the cacophony of people that she whoever she was in a meeting with are freaking out and she comes running like running down the hall she's like what has happened what is going on? What has happened? And she looks not at you, but at her husband, and who is still focusing on magic. And she completely breaks that. She's like, no. She was like, like pats him and at him, and she's like, what is happening? What is happening? And she's like, pats at his chest, and she's just like to get his attention. And whatever like magic that he's doing in concentration, it breaks, and he focuses on her, and he's the machine has, has broken. And as she starts to question him, he says, I don't know. I don't know how, I don't know why. It's broken. The barrier has fallen. And you guys can hear now the bell sounds, the warning sounds. Mm-hmm. And as the warning sounds go off, your father's grip on you tightens, and you can tell that his grip on your mother tightens as well. And he just stares at you both, and all of you in this instance understand that this is not an accident that this barrier is falling it is not something that just happened at random if there is a warning bell that means the illithids are here and you know that Mm -hmm. and if the barrier has also fallen this is on purpose and your father wears one of the symbols of the dragonite syndicate which you as his heir understand that the pendant that he wears which is a fully like four dimensional pendant in the shape of mm-hmm. it is actually kind of in the shape of like your d20 dice um a, little, a couple less sides on it but uh he wears that and you understand that this is something that only the head of the dragonite syndicate wears and it's, it has always seemed to you as like an honorary piece but it is given from one head to the next head of the family right and it is something he has never taken off you have never in any moment of your life seen him not wear this symbol and it isn't the symbol of like the Dragonite Syndicate, but it is the symbol of honor and of the of being the head of the Dragonite Syndicate. He takes it off and he puts it on you in a moment Dad, that absolutely shocks you because he has never, ever removed this. And your mother actually takes a step back away from him in surprise. And her hands like come up to her face and she's just completely shocked. And your father is probably the most serious you've ever seen him. As he puts this over you, and he looks at you, and he's still holding like the, the chains of it. And he looks at you, and he says, Do you know what this is? No. I've seen you wear it. I've never seen you take it off. It is because you should never take it off. This is Daddy. the key to the Ferez. This is the only way to get into it. It looks like a pendant, but it is an actual key. You use it to get in to the Ferez Well of Magic. If the Illithids 
get this. They will be able to open the gate to the Ferez, and with it they will have enough magical power to enslave everyone in this city. And as he's holding, and he's just so close to your face, and he's so intense with it, and he's holding the chains to it, and the door bursts open, and Asha and Jazara come in, and they have they've run in. They're clearly very out of breath from running very quickly, but in this instance, even as you hear them like yelling for you, like you don't break eye contact with your father because he mm-hmm. is directly in your face, and he looks at you, and he says, "Take this." and leave. Leave where? Go where? What about you? What am I, where am I going? And he clocks Jacinda, or not Jacinda. Jacinda's not doing shit. <laughs> Jacinda's on her way to die. Like, she don't care. She clocks, he clocks. Jacinda's ready. <laughs> he clocks Jazara and Asha, and he orders them both to come here. And, like, Jazara kind of, like, straightens up, because this is, like, the head of the city is telling her, like, giving her an order. She straightens up, and she... She very quickly walks up next to, uh, in front of you all, and I'm assuming Asha goes with her. Right behind her. And he looks at all three of you, and he says, you will take this and you will leave the city. If the Illithids are here, if they get this device, if they get access to the Ferez, they will be able to enslave all of us, and there will be nothing we can do about it. Take this and leave the city. This is not a fight we can win. If there are truly an army, and without that barrier, I don't believe we can win. But we will lose everything if this stays. And as he's, and he's holding now the pendant itself, and he's showing it to you. And he looks at Jacinda, or, god damn it, I keep saying Jacinda. Jazara. Jacinda <laughs> was a mistake. We're changing Jazara's name to Jacinda. Holy today. lord, no we're not. He looks at Jazara, <laughs> and he looks at Asha, and he says, you will go with her, and you will leave. And they're both just, I'm assuming Asha is just as much in shock as Jazara is, as she's staring at him. Asha's still processing her mother's stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Completely stunned into silence. I've been told by two different parents that we're leaving and I'm just I'm I'm shocked and horrified at this point and and as you're standing there and at this point Valkaria your mom looks at him and is like are you insane they cannot leave where are they to go to to the middle dark the lower dark you would send our daughter to the lower dark or what the surface where are they supposed to go where are they supposed to hide it only gets worse beyond the wall you cannot leave and she looks at you, she's like, you cannot leave. You will not leave. And your father is very calm as he looks at her and says, she must leave or we will all die. And your mother is starting to, your mother who is very prim proper, your mother who believes in what ladies should and should not do, what heirs should and should not do, and who has never truly lost her cool in a way that there is shouting, that there is there is stern disappointment at best, but there is never shouting and there is never yelling. So it shocks you when she turns to your father and she yells at him, "My daughter will not leave this city." I didn't know she cared so much. And it is this display of emotion is very very surprising to you, but she grabs a hold of your arm and. She looks at you and she's like, you will not leave. You cannot leave. And as you look at her, for the very first time, as you look at your mother, you do not see someone who is composed. You do not see someone who is strict with their rules, who is strict in what you should and should not do. Instead, you see a mother who is terrified for her daughter. And this, more than the barrier more than the warning bells, more than your father handing you a pendant in which you have never seen him remove, this frightens you. Because never has your mother wavered in what she has done or said or been. And your father reaches forward and he looks at your mother and he says, not to you, not to her, but he's talking to you. He says, leave the city, take the key, Find an army and come back. If you cannot find help and it will take an army, 
to defeat them. Then don't come back. What about you? The city will either survive or it will fall. But it cannot do either with you here. And he... He takes a step back from you and he pulls your mother with him. And he looks at your mother and says, We will defend the city. But you must leave. And he starts walking towards the doors. And he, as he passes uh, Jazara and Asha, he says, You will take my daughter out of this city. It is not a question. It is an order. And he looks at you one last time before he walks out the door. And he says, The fate of our city depends on you getting that key out. If you do not get that key beyond the walls and beyond this place, we will all be lost. If we fight, there is a chance for survival. But there is nothing if they get their hands on that key. I would not entrust this to you if I did not trust you. I won't let you down. I'll bring back an arm. I'll bring back whatever I can. And he smiles at you. And in this grim moment, it is more comforting than anything else possibly could be. And he walks out the door. And Jazara, who is standing there, very surprised at everything that has happened. And in a matter of, of minutes, like this minutes have passed since she rang that bell and has like ran across the city. And she looks at you and the three of you look at each other for just this moment and have an understanding of the weight that has been put upon you. You have to get the key out of the city or if the Illithids get a hold of it, they will unleash a magical power upon the city that will take it over at best because death does not await the you know, the control of the Illithids. It is an eternity and mindless servitude, which is arguably much worse. Like, just a bit. Like, the Illithid power is mind control, and they will just use you as a mindless army for until your body breaks down and dies. So, it, that's, that's great. Isn't that great? Jazara mm-hmm. looks at you both, and she says, I guess we have our orders. We're... Okay. Um... Mm, uh, clearly I'm not doing well under pressure. Um, what? Where to? Jazz, you know the best places in and out of this city. And she looks at you both. How do we get out of here? She looks at, Jazara looks at you both for a moment. And you can see her steal herself. You know, like, the hecticness of what's happening. She's calming down. She's tightened her hand on her bow, which has been in her hand pretty much the whole time. And she says, follow me. I know where to go. And then... And I place a reassuring hand on your shoulder and say, we can do this. We don't have a choice. We really don't. Let's go. If we want to get... If you want to see our city again, we really don't have a choice. And the three of you, uh, Jazara is going to lead you back towards uh, the secret tunnel. And she will lead you through the cavern network. And as you get to the entrance of where, where you actually came in at, um, to get to Nikor Tower. Just before you get there, you hear an, a resounding crash. And it is huge amounts of stone on stone. And as you look up and back towards the main gates of the city, and like where the, there's not really gates of the city, it's just a solid wall, like all the way around. Right. You watch as gigantic boulders are catapulted into the wall, and the wall crumbles and is just flattened in an area that is probably 40 feet wide. And you watch as more boulders start being lobbed over the side and just large crashing of stones against the wall over and over again and are getting lobbed into the city. And just as you hit the entrance to it, a shout yells out at you and it, it yells for Jazara. And as you turn, it's her uncle is standing there. And he doesn't say anything as he rushes up to you, but he's holding, uh, there's two quivers on his bag, on his back. And he says, you're leaving. And it's not a question. And she looks at him and she says, yes, we, uh, they gave us the key to the Ferez and we're taking it. We've been ordered to leave the city. We've been ordered to leave everywhere. We, 
I'm taking them to the surface. We need an army. And he says, good. Which surprises you. And he says, good. Take this and leave. And he shoves a quiver at her full of arrows. And he says, destroy anything that gets in your way. And he, he takes a moment to like pat her on the shoulder. And he rushes off towards the main gates of the city. And just before you duck into the tunnels, you can stand there and you can see your city. And you can see as people, some are rushing towards closer to the cavern walls, but others as guards and members of what you assume are the families are starting to rush towards the wall. And you watch as you can see the council room for the the tower for the council uh, in the center of the city. And not too far from it, you see this pulsing bright red magic. And as you concentrate on it and you look at it, you can see Valkaria's father is standing in the middle of this huge pulse of magic. And as he stands there and the magic grows out of him, he he rises up into the air. And he rises probably about 50 feet into the air. And this huge wave of magical energy pulses out of him and then comes back in and is condensed into this ball. And it shoots forward out of him through the giant gaping hole in the gate in this huge red electric beam and you hear a resounding crash in the whole part of the city for 200 yards is lit up in this bright red flash and you can see as as he's doing this there is another group of magic in what is some kind of group ritual that is taking place is also starting to pulse from a different area of the city and golden magic begins to glow and you can see that is is the uh the telena family's uh, secret spell casting like guard mm-hmm. <laughs> the spell casting secret service uh, are like doing are That's doing ritual magic service. and the crystal catcher's family home is what should have been a, a, like a series of longhouses has started to move and like that really catches you off guard and then the walls start unfolding themselves and this gigantic two like two different catapults from two different long uh, houses spring up and begin to like you can see that some of the gnomes are beginning to load them with what you're not sure with what but they're beginning to to load them you can watch as the silent hammer like uh dwarves have all taken up arms and are like running towards the gates of the city and from the kel tower you can see uh like there's a glow of magic happening and the uh what is normally blocked off like the only access point to the surface from the city uh it has been opened where you guys usually view the moon through it has been opened and you can only assume some kind of uh like magical ritual is taking place and as you look out at the city and you see your city and your people and your family fighting back on the edge of where the gate and like the wall has been broken over the edge of it suddenly five claw marks like attach themselves to the top and this black clawed hand comes up on top the wall is probably 50 feet tall and this gigantic hand sits on top of it and then coming up to the side of it is another one and it is black and scaled and these claws dig into the wall and like pull and pieces of the wall crumble down and lifting its head up 50 this wall is 50 feet and this head comes up over the top of this wall is a giant ancient black dragon snout and you hear it laugh you are not near this wall but you hear this dragon laugh reverberate through your city and it laughs (laughs) delicious and as it pulls its whole body up and it's crumbling part of the wall as it does as it climbs up onto the wall it roars a 
deafening sound and even so far away on the other side of the city that you are you have to put your hands over your ears because it is so loud it shakes the stalactites on the ceiling and it unleashes a breath of green acid over buildings the wall and it's purposefully crumbling more of the wall and it is laughing as it the wall is melted in acid and its strength and staring in absolute horror as you watch this Jazara reaches up to both of you and pulls you through the exit and into the tunnels that will lead out of the city hey y'all I know I know this is a little strange and everything um, but we are cutting this part of the session one here. Session, uh, part two of session one is uploaded in a different episode due to the way our, uh, software works. We had to upload them into two separate episodes because it was too big, and if we uploaded them together as one episode, the sound quality for part two was going to be a lot worse, so... And we didn't in it like to the point that it was kind of jarring, so we wanted to separate them out. So you managed to like maintain the good sound quality that we have in the first part of session one and not it all just deteriorate in session two. So for the rest of session one, you can go to the next episode. Everything is there. We didn't have to do any changes or anything like that. They're just two episodes. All right. Thank you guys. Tune in next week for more fuckery because we have some serious questions and concerns.